Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you're with us, Lord. God, I pray that we, we are given the same burden, Lord, the, the heart that you have, Lord, for the nations, God. That the good news, Lord, that, that has brought us to salvation, hearing the gospel, Lord, and putting our faith in your Son and knowing what he's done on the cross for our sins, Lord, that that good news, Lord, would go outside these four walls, Lord, to Tehachapi, to our community, to our families, Lord, but, but also, Lord, to, to places that have no access to it, have no churches, Lord, evangelizing, that we would cross cultural boundaries, that we would cross oceans, that we would go throughout the whole world, Lord, with this good news, Lord, to share it. God, I pray that we as a church, Lord, have a conviction about sending people, Lord, to the nations. In your son's name, amen. We've been in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14 um, for a couple of weeks now. One long sentence, this massive sentence in, in Greek, praising God for his blessings on us, and God has blessed us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, to the praise of His glorious grace. So many blessings, and I hope you have felt that over the weeks, just His grace poured out on us and poured out on us and poured out on us, lavished on us. We should be overflowing with blessings, and, and my hope is that we are so overflowing with blessings that we overflow on each other. And I think that's the theme of Ephesians as I've been reading Ephesians over and over again. Paul is just giving us the depth of God's grace so that we can live it out in love. The depth of God's grace lived out in love. And each Sunday, as we're going through the depth of God's grace and his blessings on us, I'm, I'm trying to point us to love because the first half is this, this, this uh, praise to God for his grace on us. And the second half of Ephesians is now how we should live. I believe it's why Paul spends so much time on our blessings that God has blessed us with because he wants us to love. And we've really been spending most of that time talking about sacrificial love within the church. Within the church. But today I want to take a break from Ephesians. We're actually in a good spot to kind of step away for a Sunday. And I want to look at our calling to sacrificially and boldly love outside of these four walls. To boldly love not just our community, but the nations. And I really want to talk about missions this morning. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 18. We'll be back in Psalm 67. But if you would, turn to Matthew 28, verse 18, which is a very familiar passage for most of us. This is the Great Commission. This is uh, the command that, that Jesus gives to his apostles and through them to us as the church. Let me read in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to start by asking this question. Why does Jesus add the phrase, of all nations? Verse 19, 
Right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Because the Great Commission would make sense without that phrase. And look at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples, period. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It would make complete sense without the phrase, of all nations. So why does he add this phrase, of all nations? In Greek, it's pantaita ethne. Pantaita ethne. Any words sound familiar in that? Ethne, ethne, ethnic. Ethnic. It's translated uh, most of the times nations, but it's probably not the best understanding. Ethne really communicates people groups. What's the difference between nation and people groups? Well, America is one nation, but it's full of hundreds of people groups. If you look at the Josiah Project, they estimate about, sounds like an, not an estimation, but uh, 488, right? It should be like 480 or 500 as an estimation, but 488 people groups within America. So a biblical definition of ethne, if you look at Scripture, I think is, is this— Ethne is an ethnic group that shares a common language as well as a history, customs, family, and or clan identity. In other words, people group. It's a good translation or a good understanding at least. So when you hear the words nation in the sermon this morning or when you're reading through scripture and you see that word nation or even families or even peoples, plural, think people groups because that's what the Bible is normally pointing towards. So why does Jesus add this phrase, pantaita ethne, of all nations? Well, here's why. The Great Commission is our calling as a church to reach the nations, to reach people groups. And here's the important part. Not just our community. Not just our community. Historically, this is what we've called missions. Right? And I think it's very helpful to see evangelism and missions as two separate things. Okay? This is just something I think brings clarity. We're talking about definition of words. This is not something I'm saying with authority. I'm just saying I think it brings clarity to separate evangelism and mission. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with anyone, anywhere. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with anyone, anywhere, and I just want to be as clear as I can be. That means we're all called to evangelize. We're all called to share the gospel. We're all called to make disciples. But missions is doing the work of an evangelist in a different culture. Therefore, I don't think we're all called to be missionaries. Right? Again, I want to be clear on this. Um, That's why I don't like the saying, we're all missionaries. In one sense, yes, that's true. And I know a lot of pastors have said that in the past and have said that at different churches. And how they're saying it is true. We're called to evangelize and make disciples. But I think it brings clarity to separate evangelisms and missions. Okay? So I'm not, again, saying that authoritatively. I'm just trying to be as clear as I can be because I think it's confusing. It confuses the Great Commission because we're all called to evangelize and make disciples, but we're not all called to be missionaries. In other words, crossing cultural boundaries for the sake of the gospel. Missions 
usually involves learning a language and learning a culture for the sake of the gospel. Missions usually happens in, in cultures that have no church in which people are doing evangelism. Therefore, they have no access to the gospel unless we, Christians from a different culture, go and share the gospel with them. In fact, as we saw in the video, 29% of the world has no church. Out of the 17,000 people groups in the world, 7,000 of them have no access to the gospel. We call them unreached people groups or shortened UPGs. UPGs, you'll hear missionaries and missions talk about this, UPGs of the world, unreached people groups. That means 29% of the world live their whole lives and never hear the name of Christ proclaimed. And Jesus has commanded us to go and therefore make disciples of all nations, cross cultural boundaries with the name of Christ. I have a conviction about missions. I say this a lot. It's not a passion. It's not that I like missions. I have a conviction about missions. And, and I just want to be honest on this. This, this conviction comes from, from two things. It's not because I just love missions. Right? That's not where this conviction comes. The first reason I have a conviction about, about missions is because of the Bible. It's because of Scripture. I was shocked when I was in seminary and I was studying Scripture in-depthly to just see God's heart for the nations. Everywhere. Everywhere in Scripture. Starting in Genesis, right? God commanded Abraham before the fall, or Adam before the fall in Genesis 1:28 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with his glory, with God's image. Spread God's glory throughout the whole earth. Even after the fall, we see the same command given to Noah in Genesis 9-7. Be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth. In other words, fill the earth with God's glory. And what happened? Man refused to obey God. And still, instead came together in one city and built a tower for man's own glory. Called the Tower of Babel. And what did God do? Confused their languages, right? He put people into families and people groups so that they would spread, that they would go. It's interesting. That's Genesis 11. What's the very next chapter? Chapter 12, the call of Abraham. (laughs) Right? The call of Abraham. God chooses Abraham. God blesses Abraham so that he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. In fact, Genesis 12, 2 says this, I will make you, I will make of you, this is the second verse, verses, verses 2 in, in Genesis 12. This is right after the Tower of Babel. I will make of you Abraham, in other words. I will make of you a great nation. Who's that? Israel. You're going to become a great nation, Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Here's why I'm doing this, Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God has a heart for, for the nations. In fact, Abraham's 
promise, this, Abraham, or this Abrahamic promise or the covenant with Abraham is repeated four times in Genesis. Genesis 18, 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Genesis twenty two eighteen, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 26, 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and give, give to you your offspring all the lands and your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis twenty eight fourteen, In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And the great commission is go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Pantai te ethne. How do you think that that phrase, all the nations, is translated in Genesis? The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the the Old Testament, the translation that Jesus often used, Pantai ta ethne, all the nations. And in your offspring, all the nations, Pantai ta ethne, of the earth shall be blessed. Word for word, the same as the Great Commission. The Abrahamic covenant points to the Great Commission that Jesus gives to the church. Right? The purpose of Israel is to glorify God and bless the nations. I mean, just look at the history of Israel. That's Exodus first, through First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles. Right? God creates a great nation in number. By sending them to Egypt. Then he pulls them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He gives them a promised land. And then he blesses them and puts his temple in the middle of them. And he gives them the law so that they would reflect God's glory to a lost world. He, he made them a light on the hill to the nations. And just think about this. Where did God put Israel? The center of the known world. I mean, to this day, if you look at a map of the world... What's right at the center of it? Israel. Israel was the crossroads of the world in the Old Testament. It's the middle of Europe, Africa, and Asia. Right in the middle of all three. Everyone who traveled had to travel through Israel and would see God's glory on display. At the high point of Israel, that's exactly what happened in 1 Kings chapter 10. Everyone was coming to see the wisdom of Solomon. Right? And this, this nation. But what happened? Sin got in the way. Israel started to look more like other nations than being a light, reflecting God's glory. And slowly it got worse and worse and worse until you get to the exile, which is most of the prophets. There's Ezra through Esther. God's people being exiled to other countries being exiled to Babylon, for example, because they weren't being a light. But even in exile, God commands the Jews to bless Babylon, to bless the nations that have conquered them. Because God had a heart for those lost nations. And if you don't believe me, just read the book of Jonah. God had a heart for Assyria. Read the book of Daniel. God had a heart for Babylon. Told Daniel and his his friends, be a light to this lost this lost nation. And you know the fact 
Half of Daniel is written in Aramaic. You know why? Not Hebrew. It was the language of the nations at that time. What about the Psalms? Psalms 18. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Psalms 47.1. Clap your hands, all peoples, plurals. Peoples around the whole earth. Psalms 57. I will give thanks to you, O, o Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalm 66. Bless our God, all peoples. Psalm 72. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Psalms 86. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. Psalms 96. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all the peoples. Psalms 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Psalms 108. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalms 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all nations. Peoples And of course, the Psalms, we just went over Psalms 67, verse 3. Let the peoples praise him, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It's an emphasis in the Psalms of God's name being praised among the nations. And this will only happen if we take the gospel and proclaim it to the nations. What about the New Testament? Well, the Gospels, an example is Mark 15, or eleven fifteen, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out all those who sold and those who brought, or bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And Jesus was upset, right? We know this. Overturning tables. It's like one of the places that you see Jesus most upset in in, in the gospel. Well, why? Verse 17. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, in other words, in the Old Testament, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Pantata ethne. But you have made it a den of robbers. The temple was destroyed in A.D. 70 because it was, it was corrupt of its corruption and because it failed to be a light to the nations. Jesus was angry, overturning tables, because the temple wasn't being a light to the nations, a house of prayer for all the nations. Better believe Jesus had a heart for the nations. That's why he says in Matthew 24, 14, and this, and, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, ethne, and then the end will come. And that's why he gives us the command in Matthew 28, 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What about the book of Acts? Just the whole book of Acts. I don't have time to go through Acts. Acts is the outworking of the Great Commission. It's reminding the church that they're not supposed to just reach their community. They're supposed to also reach the nations. Right? The church got in trouble because it stayed in Jerusalem. What did God do? Bring persecution and said, you're going. 
could spend so much time in Acts, a missionary book. I'm going to save that, though. What about the epistles? It's all over. You can get to Ephesians 2 and 3. We'll see it. But turn with me to Romans 15, 20. I want to see this. I want you to see this. Romans 15, verse 20. Romans chapter 15, verse 20 says, And thus I have made it my ambition to preach the gospel. That's Paul. He's telling the church at Rome, this is my ambition. This is what I'm all about. To preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see And those who have never heard will understand. Paul's ambition was to reach unreached people groups. People groups that that don't have any churches evangelizing their people groups. Never heard of Jesus. 29% of the world today. Verses 22, look what he says. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered to... From coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room uh, for work in these regions, I want you to think about that statement. Right? Paul went all over planting churches. There was plenty of people in the regions that, that needed to be evangelized. But Paul says, I have no, no longer have any room in these regions. Why? Because they have churches evangelizing. That's not my calling. And since I have longed for many years to come to you in Rome, I hope to see you, this is the church in Rome, in passing as I go to Spain. Why? Because there's already a church in Rome. So I'm going to come visit. We'll spend some time together, but I'm going to Spain. Which in that day and age was the ends of the earth. Verses 24. In passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So I'm going to the ends of the earth. I'm going to Spain. And I need your help. What is that? It's missions. It's missions. An established church sending people to unreached people groups. Who have no access to the gospel. In hopes that Paul will plant a church. And then that church would grow and get strong. And start evangelizing that people group. That's missions. What about Revelation? Turn to Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Verse 9 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. People from every nation, tribe, peoples, and language will be worshiping God forever and eternity with us. God has a heart for the nations. The majority of people, Scripture is clear on this, 
And this is a hard reality, but the majority of people aren't going to be saved. Right? right? Broad is the way to destruction. But God is going to make sure that there will be people from every nation, every tribe, every peoples, and every language. I mean, Scripture is clear from Genesis to Revelation that God has a desire to be worshipped by every ethne, every people group. You know, why is that glorify God? I mean, just think of, think of North Koreans and South Koreans hand-to-hand together worshipping God. Well, that glorifies Him. Tribes that have been warring for, for thousands of years, killing each other, Together, hand in hand, worshiping God. Sin in the Tower of Babel spread at us and, 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 and caused wars and battles and, and all this racism and hate. The gospel healing all of it. It's beautiful. God has a desire to be worshiped by every people group because it glorifies Him. Therefore, He tells the church, Go. Go. And make disciples of all nations. Every portion of scripture displays God's heart for the nation. Listen, when I was in seminary and I started seeing this, I started seeing it everywhere. And I I barely touched on it this morning. Therefore, I have a biblical conviction about missions. It's not a ministry I like. It's our command as a church. And that's the first reason why I have a conviction because of Scripture, God has a heart for the nations, and therefore we are, we are called to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But the second reason I have a conviction about missions is because we are blessed. We are so blessed. Aren't we blessed? Right? As Americans, as Christians, I mean, we've been spending time in Ephesians 1, right? Just reminding me. Reminding us, reminding me personally, just blessing after blessing after blessing. Every spiritual blessing. <laughs> Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then as Americans, we have so many, so, so many resources. We are wealthy. I don't care how poor you are this morning. If you're American, you are wealthy. We are free. And we won't have that forever. But more than that, I mean, we, we, we have more wealth and freedom than any country ever. The American church has more resources than any other church in human history. I mean, just think of air travel. What a blessing that is for reaching the nations. It used to take months. And you might not even live through the traveling overseas to go reach nations. And people went. Think of the technology we have. We can Skype all of our missionaries right now if we wanted to. It's just a blessing on us. It's infinitely small to the blessing of salvation, but it's still a blessing. Modern medicine. So here's my question. What should we do with all these blessings? If you would, turn back to Psalms 67. Psalm 
Psalm 67, verse 1. This is a prayer. May God be gracious to us. That's Israel, right? The psalmist is saying, God be gracious to us, Israel, and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? Why bless Israel? Why is this guy crying out to God to bless Israel so Israel just could be blessed? No. Look at verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Israel, blessed by God, so that God's way may be known on earth, his saving power among all nations. That's Genesis 12. It's the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and your offspring. It's going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless you that all the nations will be blessed. Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and, and bless us and make his face shine upon us. He says, psalmist is praying, God, be gracious to us. God, bless us. Make your face shine upon us, which is a blessing. That your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. It's not just the Abrahamic covenant. It's a great commission. It's our calling. It should be our prayer. Our hearts should be crying out, verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And we are so blessed. We are so blessed. We should be crying out, I want others to be blessed like us. We should be crying out, I want others to have the joy of salvation we have. Look at verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. I hope you're seeing in Ephesians 1 that there is joy promised to us. Incredible joy in, in this life and the next, especially the next. We should, want, we should want joy and we should want that joy to spread. We should want that joy to spread into Hatchapi for sure. And I'm not saying we shouldn't evangelize. We should evangelize to Hatchapi over and over again. But also with peoples that have no access to the good news. No access to the joy that's been offered to us. No access to the salvation that's been given to us. Verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. In other words, you are a good God. Verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer for God's blessing throughout all the earth. It's Genesis 1. That God's glory would be spread everywhere. That there will be worshipers of God everywhere on this earth. People reflecting God's glory in faith and obedience all over the earth. Verse 1, may, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. And I want to be clear on this. And this is not a guilt trip. I just want to be clear. This is going to happen. And then we could be a part of it or despite us. It's going to happen. <laughs> No matter what we do as a church, 
this is going to happen. It's, it's prophesied. Revelation makes it very clear. All ethne, all people groups, all languages, all, all nations are going to be there worshiping. It's going to happen. Yet God has ordained this to happen by Christians being sent. It's why we send missionaries. This is what Romans ten fourteen says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard. That's 20, 29% of the world's never heard the name of Christ. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, we are commanded to reach the nations. It's great commissions. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, but it's also our privilege As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What a privilege. What a privilege to be a part of this. I know not all of us are called to be missionaries like Paul. We're all called to evangelize. We're all called to, to make disciples. But not all of us are called to be missionaries like Paul. But Paul needed supporters. Right? Paul needed people to send him. He needed senders. That's what it says in, in Romans ten fifteen. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? If you're not called to go, and I'm talking about missionary go. We're all called to evangelize. But, but crossing seas and oceans and borders and putting ourselves in dangers for the sake of the gospel. If we're, we're not called to go like that, we are called to send. And not just sin, but to sin well. I have a conviction about missions, and I have a conviction about sending well. Sending extremely well. I want to spend, man, I want to talk about missions at Country Oaks just real briefly. I'm not going to be able to cover everything I wanted to. Um, but I encourage you in the small group questions at the very end, I am asking the small groups to pray for, for, for missions here at Country Oaks this week. At the very end of the small group qu- uh, uh, questions that you have are just some, some ins and outs about how we do missions here at Country Oaks. Okay? I want to briefly talk about this as, as quickly as I can. Um, there's six different things I wanted to go over, but, but the... Let's start here. Why do we call missionaries cross-cultural workers? I, just want, I want to start. Why, why do we call them cross-cultural workers? I've been using missions and missionary this whole sermon, but, but we want to get rid of that vocabulary and call it cross-cultural work and cross-cultural workers. And there's two reasons for that. First, so many pastors have preached that we're all missionaries, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong. Okay? It, it's, it's just a, a, a difference of language. I think it's confusing, though. Okay? So many pastors have preached that, and you have a favorite pastor that preached that, yet yeah, he's a good guy. I'm, I'm not, okay? I just want to bring some clarity. So many have preached that, that cross-cultural workers, calling our missionaries cross-cultural workers, I just think brings clarity. Right? There are men and women that are crossing cultural boundaries to share the gospel. 
is one reason why we want to call them cross-cultural workers. The second reason, and this is the more important reason, is the word missions and missionaries is extremely dangerous for most missionaries. It's crazy. Most countries don't mind Westerners because they want our wealth. So they don't mind us coming and sharing how we got wealthy, pretty much. Hey, start your businesses here. We'd love that. Most, most countries don't mind Westerners. Most countries don't mind Christians. Most countries don't even mind churches that evangelize. They just don't want people there for the sole purpose of missions. That's why most missionaries now are doing businesses in, in the country and just living out their life the way they would. The M word, missions, is a very dangerous word because countries don't want that. And so we're trying to change that vocabulary here so when you hear cross-cultural workers, you just know what we're talking about so we don't accidentally put it over the internet and get one of our our cross-cultural workers in trouble. So I'm going to start trying to say that from here on out. Okay. Um, I want to talk about our priority real quick. Our priority as a church, and it's not to say that other, other missions are bad, but our priority as a church is to reach that 29%. We just want to be focused on that. So little people are spending money and giving money to that and, and sending workers. We want to make it a focus as our church, not, not to say that there's other good things, other good missions, stuff going on. We want to be focused and try to reach that 29% the best we can as a church. I have no access to the gospel. Let's see. I want to talk about this real quick. There's di- two different levels that we support people. We either are a supporting church or ascending church. Right? This is mission, missionology. This is not just us making this up. This goes across the board for most missionaries. Either you're a supporting church or a uh, uh, ascending church. A supporting church is just we give money and we encourage. Right? We're just a part of what they're doing. Ascending church is that we are way more involved. We are sending someone we consider a part of us, right? And, and they're probably going to try to get support from other churches, but they're a part of us, and we're sending them to, to places that don't have the gospel. So they're supporting and sending. When we say we're sending a missionary or we're their sending church, we're committing to protecting them, loving them, encouraging them, checking on their health spiritually and physically. I mean, they're just people. They're, they're, they're like us. They're not super Christians, people with marriages and parenting problems. And we want to help them as best we can across the world. We also want to keep them accountable, accountable in their marriages, accountable in their relationship with the Lord, and accountable in what they're doing. Accountable in what they're doing, what they're teaching, and how they're teaching it. These want the gospel to be pure. So as ascending church, we're saying we're responsible for you. If you would turn with me to Ephesians 2.11, I just want to show you one more thing before we take Lord's Supper. Ephesians 2.11. I pray we just bless this couple as they come next weekend. It says this, therefore. If there's a therefore, that word's always pointing back to something else. And what's this pointing back to? All the deep theology that we've been going over. All the deep theology in chapters 1 and chapter... We haven't even got... To, like it's going to be months before we get to this verse, probably. All this deep theology of God's grace just being poured out on us. And look what it says, verse 11. Therefore, remember. 
This is the only command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Remember, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 is this deep theology of what has happened to us. Chapters 4 through 6 is, then how should we live? And there's 39 imperatives. There's 39 commands in chapters 4 through 6. The second half of Ephesians, there's one in the first three chapters. And here it is, verse 11. Therefore, remember. Don't forget a command by God. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, right? That's Gentiles, non-Jews. By what is called the circumcision, that's Jews, which is made in the hands of, or flesh by hands. Remember that you Gentiles were at, at, at that time separate, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world, in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who is Paul talking to in this portion of scripture? Gentiles. Non-Jewish Christians. Who are we? Unless you're a Jew this morning, who are we? We are non-Jewish Christians. You know what that means? If it wasn't for a missionary crossing cultural boundaries to share the gospel with your ancestors, your people group, maybe thousands of years ago, maybe Paul himself, you would have had never heard the gospel. And look at what Paul says in verse 11. Therefore, remember. Verse 12, remember that you were at one time separate, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Communion is all about remembering the cross. You were once far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As you remember the blessings of the cross, these blessings have been poured out on you this morning, I would ask you to ask yourself one question. What am I called to do with all these blessings that have been poured out on me? This grace has been lavished on me through Christ's death on the cross. Take a moment of silence. Just think through that.